go have a look at the sustainable development goals. Don't just pick a few that you think you're creating an impact on and, you know, put them on your website. <laughs> uh, but, you know, actually have a hard look at them. Welcome to Good Business Talking, and I'm your host, Ravi Rai. Today, I'm speaking to the young and inspiring Will Pearson, who, whilst working on a cruise ship, saw firsthand the devastating impact of plastics on the ocean and the creation of carbon into our atmosphere. Sparked from what he saw, he created a business, a business with the ambition to reclaim 7 billion plastic bottles from the ocean, all through a reusable bottle company. This company, now in its second year, and despite COVID, has sales in 88 countries and has secured Series A funding. A few things that we spoke about. Why he paid 46% more for a bottle manufacturer versus the next best alternative supplier. Why he chose to give away 20% of revenue, not profit, revenue, to work that impacts the planet. And why their four pillars of accountability have guided their decision-making and led to the results they've achieved oh so quickly. I was shocked to learn from him that 50% of greenhouse emissions are driven by natural resource extraction, and that the same resource extraction results in 90% of biodiversity loss. He really has opened up my eyes. You know, I loved Will's commitment to saving us all from the planet crisis, and how he's managing to do this through a profitable multi-stakeholder business called Ocean Bottle. So without further ado, let's get started. Will Pearson, welcome to Good Business Talking. Thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this because when I heard what you had done, what your focus was, boy, you, you really take that stakeholder capitalism stuff seriously, you know, all the way through the fabric. So I'm really excited to um, share some of the stuff that you've done and are going through when it comes to looking at those different perspectives and the tensions that might arise as a result of that. Well, thank you so much. And I'm, I'm glad it uh, comes through. We, might, we must be doing something right. So uh, we're at least trying. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Cool. So, hey, before we get into the nuts and bolts of this stuff, could you give the listeners maybe a couple of minutes intro to you and also Ocean Bottle, the company? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we started the company a little over so two years ago. So we have a super simple mission to enable individuals all around the world to have a global impact on the plastic crisis. And we do that with the help of the world's most impactful reusable bottles. So Basically, each of our products actually funds collection equivalent to a thousand plastic bottles and weights um, and helps set up recycling and waste management infrastructure in coastal communities where they really need it most. So that's kind of what we're working on. We're working to, to turn the tap off of ocean plastic with people around and inspiration came from a few different corners. It's not often you know, one thing that, that kicks it off. Um, right. But I actually spent a year working at sea back in 2016 and uh, just saw plastic pollution everywhere. We, we sailed out to the Indian Ocean, encountered an island called Tilafushi in the Maldives, where most of the plastic from the resorts is sort of collected and it's burnt and actually drifts into the ocean. 
you're left with this sort of really quite scarring image actually because you're in probably one of the most pristine environments in the world and then you've got kind of that just happening on the side um you're right it is the most incredibly beautiful place still the only time i've ever seen a, a real life manta coming at me and a few shark you know that freak the hell out of me but that's another story but can you just tell us a little bit more describe what is it that you saw what happened inside you what was the trigger what really happened was it was sort of this out of sight out of mind experience the boat that I was working on, they bought a huge amount of, of plastic water bottles actually for their sort of guests and, and crew through that season. The bottles would be consumed. And then I was actually the one that was taking all those plastic bottles and then handing them over to locals who would collect the garbage. And you could pretty much see them, you know, taking it off to this island that was just smoldering in the distance. So there was this huge juxtaposition between um, you know, the people kind of enjoying these plastic water bottles on board and looking out at the beautiful sea and then not actually knowing kind of what was happening behind the scenes in terms of the problem. And I think that was sort of a trigger for me. And I started to research the problem further. And that was really when I found out that ocean plastic is still heading in the wrong direction. Ocean plastic is expected to quadruple by 2040 unless we do something really, really drastic. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily realise that. So, yeah, it's kind of how can we change it? If you don't mind me asking, what was your trajectory before then? Good you, question. Where were you heading before this kind of epiphany came? Yeah, I had a strong interest in sustainability since about high school. So it was a geography class um, that really kicked that interest off for me. I think learning about the pressures that people are putting on the resources that we have on our, on our planet. That was really interesting to me and looking at how actually we could solve all of these sort of various big challenges. I did engineering and I even went into sort of internships in, in solar energy. Post uh, degree, I, I went out and spent this year at sea. I also went on a trip to Colombia and saw rivers just packed with plastic. My housemate was studying microplastics and, you know, wouldn't stop banging on about it. So I think it, it kind of all accumulated to this, uh, you know, wanting to do something. That's <laughs> serendipitous. And isn't it, but you know what? It's incredible just how many experiences are that way. You know, certain dots just connect up. Yeah, well, I think I would have, I would have had to have some pretty powerful noise-cancelling headphones to, to ignore it all. I also had this this interest in, in business and, and starting a company. So that was really where it, it sort of crossed crossed over as well. And I suppose what we're going to talk about today. Just briefly, just a little bit about Ocean Bottles. So you said it's been running for a couple of years. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we, we actually launched the company with a, a crowdfund back in January uh, 2019. But I think we, we were just overwhelmed by the response, really. So we had people from 88 different countries bought bottles during the campaign, which was terrifying because we had to then produce them and, and ship them out to everyone. And we were sort of doing the, the packing and, and shipping ourselves at that point. Crowdfunding is an amazing way to get a lot of awareness. We actually had a, an investment bank that came to us during the crowdfund and said, I would like to get one of these bottles for every one of my employees. They actually, you know, paid up front and, and bought the bottles about a year before we we delivered them almost. It was pretty incredible. And since then, brand partnerships have been a, a really big part of our growth journey, both in terms of being able to to work with all sorts of different brands and, and their communities, 
And uh, yeah, now we are a team of 12 full-time employees based in London. It just wouldn't be possible without them. I think we're now at that kind of phase of, of scale up. Anyone going through kind of what we're going through, I'd recommend a book called The High Growth Handbook. It's that interesting inflection point. You know, what happens when you go beyond 10 employees and are trying to sort of scale it up from there? So that's kind of where we are now. We, we raised a Series A investment round earlier this year and um, trying to dial up impact for 2025 and hit our goal, which is to fund collection equivalent to 7 billion plastic bottles in weight. Wow, superb. Um, very exciting. Congratulations. That is a major, major milestone. Um, are you making money yet or what's your trajectory in terms of profit? We've been really pleased because so we give around 20% of our revenue to impact. Impact companies have previously sort of been classed as 1% for the planet, which means you're giving 1% of your revenue to the planet. But we're actually doing sort of 20 times that. And we're hoping to actually scale that even further. In our first year, we generated a 26% net profit margin, which just meant that we could reinvest that into the growth of the company and, and just scaling impact further. Wow. 26% net profit year one. Yeah. Hang on a second. <laughs> I mean, that is just awesome. Right. I definitely want to get into some of that too. Because I'll tell you what, it's, it's so critical. Businesses that are doing this amazing stuff for the world. Um, you, but that financial sustainability is absolutely key. That's your fuel. That's the oxygen. Because without that, you can't keep going. So it's not either or, it's and, right? You've got to make this a profitable business so that you can fuel your purpose. It has to. Right from the start, we spoke about sort of self-financial growth and you know, not being a company that has to chase fundraising round after fundraising round mm. and, and being able to continue to sort of fuel that growth and I hope that that's what we'll be able to continue to do really. Now in the lay of the land who are your stakeholders? Yeah so I suppose we're probably a little bit different from most companies because there's the extra impact piece right so our first and additional stakeholder is what positive impact are we creating with that funding piece so in the context of that the stakeholders are very much people and planet and within the context of planet, obviously we have uh, ocean health, trying to prevent plastic from, from entering the ocean, but also preventing plastic from sort of decimating these coastal communities where we're working. So we're working in Indonesia, the Philippines, Haiti, Brazil, uh, also Egypt, uh, launching more countries soon. Yeah, for us, you know, that really is sort of a core stakeholder in terms of sort of the, the positive externality that, that we're trying to create there. I would then say that there's other stakeholders. So we, we think about the supply chain, uh, what impact we're having across there. We have obviously our employees and our, our team who we care greatly about, our customers and, you know, putting them first society as a whole sort of the, the broader society and how how we can make a difference there and then sort of finally our uh, sort of partners i'd say so that's probably really how we look at our stakeholders um and i think we really try and create positive externalities across all of those stakeholders uh, and work incredibly hard to do so so one of the stakeholders i'm really interested in getting into a little bit more is how you're working with the supply chain 
you know, supply chain is a tough gig for most regular businesses to have a level of quality assurance and governance around them. And we've seen multiple companies fail at that, right? And some big names really fail at it too. But you're not only trying to make sure that who you work with delivers what you need, but you seem to be going above and beyond what suppliers and people in the supply chain you work with and then how they show up. So can you tell me a little bit about your kind of just your overarching, whether it's supply chain, procurement, supplier kind of process? Who do you go out to seek to work with? Um, How does a business that has this audacious goal around reducing usage of plastic and cleaning up the oceans and building good health and social well-being in coastal communities, how does that lock into your supply chain? Well, I think it's, it's a really interesting question, particularly because issues in the supply chain and um, a lack of transparency in the supply chain is the, the core issue that you know, we're in the sort of mess that we're in today. If people knew where their products were coming from, uh, the impact that that was creating, both from sort of material perspective to how they're being made, I think people would make quite, quite different choices. We're already starting to see a huge shift in uh, supply chain transparency, being able to really trace where everything you buy uh, comes from, whether it's food to uh, um, the products that you need and, and use. So we're still on a, on a journey across that. I think we also have a long way to go. When we started the process and we developed the products, uh, we had to go out to find a factory. We basically came to a very quick realization that every single uh, stainless steel vacuum insulated uh, reusable bottle is made in China. So it really became this question of, okay, how can we find a factory that really is kind of leading the way? And then how can we work with them to sort of continue to to improve? So we actually went through a pretty stringent uh, due diligence process and we found a factory where we're actually paying 46% more than the second best alternative mm. and the reason why we're willing to pay that premium is because of their emphasis on on social and environmental sustainability through our relationship with them i asked them whether they would be willing to install uh, a solar system and they actually went and installed fifteen thousand square meters of solar on their roof uh, they now have robotic production pretty high tech uh, facility and they just continue to push the boundaries i mean we've put so much pressure on them in terms of giving us uh, recycled stainless steel that they've actually gone out sourced the material and now other bottle companies are also starting to use that material as well so i think companies have a, a huge role to play in the pressure that they can put on their supply chain. And and again, it's that continuous improvement. I think no product comes without a footprint. Our product has a footprint. We know that it's uh, around 3.88 kilograms of of CO2 equivalent, which we offset and we're continuously working to reduce that footprint. Um, So I think it's just about measuring the impact you're creating, continuously trying to improve it, and also setting benchmarks for what is acceptable mm. and what isn't acceptable. You know, we have to have SEDEX, which is sort of a social environmental standard, 
as well as sort of other things um, through, for example, the B Corp process. It sounds like from what you're saying is you challenged the supplier to use a new form of recycled stainless steel and now they have found other customers on the back of that. Yeah, or at least their customers are now using that material. You know, we've also pushed them to test out these sort of wacky, crazy materials. Uh, it got to the point where we actually ruined the tooling sort of molds. <laughs> so they weren't they weren't too happy about that. That's part of innovation, right? If you're not breaking stuff, you're not innovating. On the whole, they're, they're quite happy to actually push to be a sustainable bottle factory. And they also have enormous scale. So it means that... You know, if, if we want to be a global brand, we have to have that sort of scalability there. And, and they really allow that. Uh, good on you to find that supplier. What is it that the impact that you make on communities? What shape does that take? And how do you measure that impact? So, yeah, let, let me explain a little bit more. So um, we work with a partner, Plastic Bank. And what we do is we basically set up collection points for recycling and for plastic waste in these coastal communities. And what it basically means is that locals can actually bring uh, their recycling, their plastic, and exchange that material for digital tokens that they can then swap for money, but also access to uh, medical insurance, tuition, um, even sort of microfinance, as well as trading it for, for other products. So there's a huge sort of social impact as well behind what we're doing. And I, I suppose what's really happening is we're actually sort of turning plastic waste into sort of a force for good in a way and kind of flipping the narrative um, because we're, we're actually attaching a value to that plastic and incentivizing its collection and then sort of creating impact off the back of that. And a lot of the uh, collectors actually that, that we work with in these regions, this digital wallet of, of tokens is actually the first bank account for many of them. Um, and for those who don't have, have mobile phones, they're actually able to set up a bank account with the branch uh, manager at that collection point. They're able to manage their account and their tokens at that location. It's, it's incredibly impactful. So not only are you stopping you know, plastic pollution, but you're also um, creating this sort of social mobility as well. Wow. I mean, I'm loving that virtuous circle you've got going on there. Um, how do you measure your direct impact is that measurable or are there just too many environmental factors for you to say isolate say this is what we have done no we we do measure actually and i think measuring is so important the only way to really track the impact that you're actually creating is through measuring um so we actually have audit trail data so it shows exactly what type of plastic has been collected where when the amount where it's going so it allows for an incredible sort of transparency around that. And then we also have data on how many collectors we're working with, how many communities we've impacted. Uh, there's even sort of schools that have set up as collection points. So yeah, there's an incredible amount of data actually that, that we measure what we're actually doing. And is this a case of, you know, in these communities, people were already collecting plastic and now they're collecting it and discarding it in a different way through yourselves? Or is it you've actually created a new industry or is it a bit of both? So it's, it's a bit of a combination, actually. You've got a huge global informal waste sector um, with waste pickers. And these are typically some of the most marginalised people in the world. So what we're really doing is actually we're trying to formalise 
that sector and give them proper employment opportunities and also take it from waste picking to waste management. So, you know, these collectors actually end up sort of going house to house. They have sort of in in, uh, the Philippines, they have in Brazil, they have push carts so they can actually go from house to house and and collect recycling and and plastic waste. So formalizing uh, an informal sector. And you also have what's called low value plastics. These are typically materials that have zero to very little value and they're typically not collected so actually putting a value on those materials and incentivizing the collection is also really important and then finally is also incorporating the entire community schools um other people as well sort of in in society to to bring recycling and, and exchange and what do you do with that plastic that's not recyclable so you're incentivizing the collectors to get it but nothing can then be done with it. What happens to it? So all of the plastic that we collect at the moment is recyclable. There's basically a supply chain on the on the back end of that material type. So if it's PP, HTP, LDPE, uh, or so on, they actually all get recycled. But I think the next steps now are to continue to build on new supply chains to be able to take in even more material types Mm. so whether that's putting the material into buildings Mm. into co-processing for non-recyclable materials it's finding use cases for those materials and enabling a collection of them basically got it so you're not done yet then by the sounds of it you just we're not done we're just getting started we're just getting started so where we are now we you know we're so far yet from the future but it is exciting to imagine you know, what that circular future could look like. So one of the things that you did talk to me also when we first spoke was you mentioned something called four pillars of accountability. Yeah, so <clears throat> the four pillars, this was actually something that we came up with during the B Corp process. So we, we did our B Corp application um, towards the end of 2020. I suppose we had nothing better to do as we were all uh, stuck in stuck in lockdown. Through that process, it actually kind of prompted us to think about what are the pillars of impact that we are trying to create. They were there from the start. We hadn't really put words to it. It became ocean health, uh, social good, climate action, and circularity. So we really measure our impact across all of those four pillars and try and track everything we're doing so it's really a way of holding ourselves accountable and measuring our progress year on year so across ocean health obviously it's it's how much plastic have we collected how much infrastructure we've set up uh, but also on the consumer side you know how many plastic bottles have, have we sort of eliminated in use how much sustainable behavior have we encouraged and then obviously on social good this is, is absolutely core to the impact we're creating in coastal communities, but also really across production, certification, and, and kind of pushing things even further there. Uh, climate action is, I think, absolutely key to and core to, to our company. So all of our products are actually climate positive. Uh, we fund mangrove restoration projects in Kenya, and we actually have a CO2 offset through the plastic that we collect and recycle. 
and encouraging people to go reusable is actually a great way of reducing their, their carbon footprint. And then, yeah, finally, circularity. I think we believe that the future will be this circular business model. Resource extraction actually accounts for 50% of global greenhouse emissions. That blows my mind. Absolutely. I had no idea. It blew my mind, actually, when I I read that statistic. Um, It also accounts for 90% of global biodiversity loss as well. Um, and I think we've we've only recycled. I think it's something like six percent of you know all materials that that we've produced to date. Wow. So you know if we can really change that, we can really create a lot of impact. So our bottles are fully recyclable. We have a, a repair and and recycling scheme for ten years, so mm. you can get mm. free replacement parts for ten years to keep your bottle going. And then if it is ever beyond repair, which we hope it isn't you can actually send it back to us and, and we'll recycle it into, into a new one. Oh, wow. I did not know that. You need to make a song and dance about that. Bit. Yeah, That's we haven't made a song and dance about it yet. <laughs> that is impressive. I think we need to. Firstly, I mean, those four pillars just blow my mind. So, and I just want to say them out again because I think they're so well thought through and impactful. So ocean health, social good, climate action, and circularity, right? Yeah, that's cool. it. When I think about those four pillars, Will, I mean, no one in their right mind could argue against them. Right? It's like uh, Mother Nature or Apple Pie. It's all good stuff, and it's really, really important stuff. And, man, and if the last two years have told us anything, that if we have so been on the back foot of this stuff, where, if at all, do you get tension across those four uh, pillars? Because I kind of look at them and think, wow, they're all phenomenally audacious, very far-reaching, incredibly deep. There you are, an organisation of 12, making money from year one. But day-to-day, what tensions do you have in trying to fulfil those four pillars and run a sustainable business? Gosh, you know, I think that's such a good question. That is the challenge that we face, probably those tensions. Um, I think from our perspective, we probably wish we had millions or, or billions of dollars to, to throw at all of them continuously. And I think being a company like ours, where impact sort of is at the core, we're able to allocate resources and time to really driving forward those four pillars and, and continuously. But when we first launched the company, we had to get the business off the ground. We developed the bottle actually in Oslo and Norway. Um, it was sort of a 3,000 hour design process. And of that design process, we actually invested 400 hours in finding uh, sustainable materials. Hmm. So finding food grade sustainable materials, because obviously being a reusable product, you have to have you know, sort of food grade certification and, and so on. What happened was we actually just hit a total roadblock and we could not find the material that we required in a recycle format. So we basically had to move ahead with a virgin plastic. So we had a a virgin polypropylene lid on the bottle Mm -hmm. because we could not get a a recycled substitute. So we were able to incorporate ocean-bound plastic, uh, recycled stainless steel, but sort of for the lid, we had had to make that compromise. And it was either, do we sit and wait for a year Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know try and make this absolutely perfect from the get go, or do we launch this now and then go through this process of of continuous improvement? That's the model that we've adopted. Is this sort of 
process of, of continuous improvement and, and pushing ourselves to constantly do better. So we had our, our first impact report went out in, in uh, the beginning of 2021. And in there, we announced, okay, what are we going to try and achieve by the end of this year? Mm-hmm. So we're actually now about to launch uh, a fully recycled material uh, for, for uh, the lids, also a, a fully recycled stainless steel. There's always those tensions, you know, when you're, you're trying to particularly battle perhaps between time, your most precious resource, also funding and the cost of things, and then, you know, impact and, and perfection. So we've actually had to really pay a premium to do things in the right way. What would you say has been your biggest dilemma and the choice you've had to make that you just find it really, really hard? Yeah, just whether it's at a personal ethical level or at a business impact level or at a stakeholder level. Well, I, mean, I think there's been more than a couple of uh, <laughs> a couple of those moments. But um, we had a, a business advisor who um, sort of was was helping us with with the business. The first thing we decided was basically that we're going to give around twenty percent of revenue to impact. We're going to have this fixed impact per product. Each ocean bottle is going to fund collection equivalent to a thousand plastic bottles. This advisor basically said. Yeah, you, you must be out of your minds doing this. It's never going to work. It's never going to be profitable. You should dial it down by a factor of 10 was the recommendation. So you should do 100 plastic bottles rather than 1,000, basically. So it would have been 2% of revenue you know, rather than 20. We basically ignored it, completely ignored the advice. I think we're, we're so glad that, that we did that because... It was core to what we were trying to achieve. So it made no sense to kind of go ahead with a business model that it wasn't going to create the kind of impact that, that we hoped to, to do maybe. So that was a, a tricky one for a short moment. Uh, but I think, yeah, we uh, quickly overcame it. That is a wonderful, wonderful example of how purpose-driven businesses work. Right. Because you, you said it yourself, that, that's not the core of why we set up. We core why we set up, we want to make an impact. And therefore, whilst we are hearing that, no, we've got to figure out a way to get there. So let's do it still. Yeah. And I think, you know, we even spoke about, will there be a difference to the customer between 100 and 1,000 plastic bottles? Mm-hmm. Maybe 100 is enough. But it sort of, it was about, you know, going kind of a level beyond and, and trying to dial it up as much as possible, I suppose, yeah. Let's just come back to your product for a second. There's a chip inside the bottle as well. And I guess this somehow links to your measurement of your impact. So tell me a bit about that. What's that all about? Yeah, so when we started the company, we sort of decided that we would have these two USPs um, and that we would basically be uncompromising across impact and across product. In the product development process, we really tried to elevate the reusable bottle to the next level with the core goal of incentivizing people to bring their bottle with them. And we then had this kind of realization that people are going to buy these products. It's going to create loads of impact when they buy it. But sort of what happens next? We really didn't want for it to become a token purchase. So the concept with putting this smart chip in every bottle, so it's an NFC chip, so the same technology as a, a loyalty card or a hotel room card, or actually the same as Apple Pay users as well, was that we're going to have loads of people out there with bottles, 
you know, what if they could actually create more impact on the plastic crisis just by bringing their bottle with them every day? So we basically want to enable people to fund more plastic collection for free when they bring their bottle with them to partner locations. So be it your retailer, your gym chain, your, your coffee chain, your co-working space, you'll be able to fund more plastic collection for free each time you interact with that location. So that's kind of the network we're building. We actually estimate the people will be able to take their impact from a thousand bottles to uh, 10,000 plastic bottles a year just by bringing it with them. So in effect, kind of 10xing that community impact annually and uh, getting partners to pay for it. I mean, that sounds incredible. What a wonderful example of velocity thinking. But if we take it down a notch in terms of practically how does that work? Let's say I run a coffee chain. How does that work? What's the mechanics behind that? From a business perspective, how do you get that ecosystem going? Yeah, definitely. So the way it works is that they would basically offer a, an amount of impact if you visit their store and, and, and refill. So if you go to your coffee chain, they might say, okay, we'll fund collection of 20 plastic bottles and wait for you. And you'll actually be able to see that sort of on our map, you know, which locations are and aren't funding plastic collections. So you'll be able to sort of make a conscious choice around where you want to have your coffee. Gotcha. So you're basically building the system of touch points where your bottles are used to fuel the mission that you have. Okay, no, I get it now. That's the idea. Yeah. The, the thing also that comes to my mind, and this might be a bit of a challenging one, <laughs> you take in a factory that's charged some 40 plus percent more than your second option because they were uh, more aligned to your values, your mission and your ethos. That will in some way, shape or form reflect itself back into the price of the product or a reduction in margin. And so what goes on in my mind is, is this work and intention around sustainability, zero footprint, recycling, is this a narrative that's still only for the middle classes and those that can afford it? Yeah, I, I think it's such a good and important question. We actually spend a lot of time talking about and thinking about how we can make that transition to, to the mainstream and, and to the masses. At the moment, you know, where our, our price point stands, it's definitely a premium product. You know, it's an investment product. The bottle retails at £40. So it's, you know, higher than a lot of people might be willing to pay. But actually, when you start looking at, for example, plastic bottle consumption, the average in the UK is around 150 plastic bottles a year. So if you're talking a pound of plastic bottle, it starts to actually really make financial sense as well. But I think the long-term goal has to be that businesses start to get charged for their negative externalities or that companies who are doing better in terms of sustainability receive those incentives from government because at the moment if you buy a product you might be paying for hidden negative externalities whether it's polluting the ocean polluting the air that you're breathing or negatively impacting people's lives you are actually paying those negative externalities you just don't know it. Mm -hmm. so i think that will probably hopefully begin to see that shift as well but also it's, it's about bringing scale as well to the sustainable solutions so the more that we can scale uh, what we're doing you know the more that we can bring in those economies of scale and reduce our cogs and then hopefully also reduce our, our price point and increase the accessibility 
if I was a CEO of a small business or a medium-sized business, and I had this inner desire uh, to want to pivot to being a business that was more of a force for good for the world, what advice would you give me? I would probably say, you know, go have a look at the sustainable development goals. Don't just pick a few that you think you're creating an impact on and, you know, put them on your website. <laughs> uh, but, you know, actually have a hard look at them. Have a look at the ones that you do think you are creating a positive impact on, uh, that you think, you know, you could create an even bigger positive impact on. Uh, sustainability is absolutely paramount. You know, we, we have to have a sustainable relationship with our planet in order to continue life as it exists today. So I think that really has to become a core goal, I think, for, for everyone in reaching net zero by, by 30 and sort of driving forward those goals. But, you know, I think have, have a look at the, the sustainable development goals. Have a look at you know, what is it, what impact is it that you want to create that you really believe in and, and, and want to get behind. As we were on the startup accelerator and their sort of motto was build the world that you want to live in. Mm. You know, and that that was to me really powerful because it it is about you know imagining that future um and, and actually trying to sort of shape that and 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 be a part of, of shaping that. Love that. Build the world you want to live in. What accelerator were you on? What program? So it was called, um, it's called Catapults. So they're based in, in Oslo, Norway. Mm. And uh, they're pretty mad, actually. They're, they're sort of Davos crossed with uh, Burning Man nice. type, type atmosphere. And uh, at one point, they were actually going to build a, a human catapult and uh, slingshot people into the ocean. <laughs> Because our, our accelerator was called Catapult Ocean, yeah. Love it. Absolutely love it. What a vibe. They must have gone there. Okay. Yeah, so it's amazing. Last request I have of you. Um, I'm going to give you three sentences for you to finish off. Okay? Um, so in the context of capitalism, right, I like, what do you like? The other way we could look at it is in the context of business, what do you like? In the context of business, I like that um, you can sort of shape your own narrative. You don't have to wait for government to legislate. You don't have to wait for other companies to come along and do it. Mm. You, can, you can do it yourself. And I think that is the power that the business has you know, to be that force for good. And I think if you combine impact with a profitable business model, the sky's the limit. Beautiful. Okay, next one. Same thing in the context of business or capitalism. Finish yeah. off this sentence. I wish. In the context of business, I wish that things are moving faster. We have sort of around a decade to really change our trajectory and ensure that we actually live on a planet that is sustainable and, and can sustain life. We just need to increase the pace. Beautiful. Last one. Same thing. In the context of capitalism or business, I wonder. In the context of capitalism, I wonder whether it can become a force for good. And um, if built you know, on, on new foundations, uh, we can actually use capitalism to improve the world that we live in cool thanks man no, i really enjoyed that and i'll tell you what, i i learned so much from these and 
I am seriously blown away by what you've done in such a short period of time with so few people. It's just mind blowing. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and thanks for you know, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for raising awareness about this. You know, within I think within the the business community and and putting such an emphasis on this shift. Where I'm sat, it, it's happening at light speed. Uh, you know, I am in a bit of a bubble for sure, and you, you know, you probably are as well. But yeah, it's happening faster than than people can possibly imagine. People forget that Amazon started in a garage a decade or so ago. So. That man is on a mission. There are quite a few things that really resonated for me. One, how it's not enough for him to get his company set up to be planet positive. He is relentlessly driving it through the entire supply chain. And as he said, raise the bar on what is acceptable. Two, I was totally taken aback and inspired by his system-wide thinking that's created a virtuous circle whereby the business has uplifting poor coastal communities by formalizing and supporting waste collection and waste management. How the business has created a product and used the reclaimed waste in its entirety. So in effect, created a climate positive product of which the revenues then go back to saving the oceans. And a business that's created a product that's helping shift consumer behavior and channeling their purchases to other partner companies that are driving climate action. And this all comes from his four pillars of accountability, ocean health, social good, climate action, and circularity. I hope you were just as inspired as I was by Will's thoughtful, strategic, and audacious goals for the planet and his business. And if you found any seed of inspiration or insight in this podcast episode, please do share. And that way you're helping me fulfill my purpose by letting the world know that businesses are and can be a force for good. And for that, I'll be forever grateful. Until next time, take care of yourselves and those that you lead. This was hosted by Ravi Rai. You can connect with Ravi on LinkedIn or on Twitter at RaviFPC. This series is sponsored by Four Points Consulting. We make change happen with conscience and with purpose. Check us out at www.fourpoints.net. That's www.fourpoints.net. <laughs>